On today's episode of the Real Clear Defense podcast, Hot Wash, RCD contributor John Waters speaks with Bill B. and Wills Robinson, the authors of The Shot, The Harrowing Journey of a Marine in the War on Terror. Sergeant Bill B. is the Marine Infantry Rifleman in one of the defining images of the war in Afghanistan. Captured in Helmand Province in 2008 by Reuters photographer Goran Tomasevich in a photo that would be seen around the world, Sergeant B. is seen in a dramatic moment, the spray of dirt around him after being narrowly missed by enemy fire. But in 2010, B. was not so lucky. During the Battle of Marja, B., along with half his squad, was wounded by an IED. His physical and mental injuries from that moment ultimately forced him to retire from the Corps. As a civilian, B. worked as a veterans benefits advisor, counseling Marines and sailors as they navigated their transition from military to civilian life. Co-author Wills Robinson, a journalist and editor for politics at the Daily Mail, helped B. tell the story behind the moment in that photograph, how he got there, his life after, and his struggles with the effects of his time in combat. The shot is a grunt's eye view of going to war and coming home. And now, John Waters. So I'm looking at a picture of a Marine. It's May in southern Afghanistan. It looks hot outside, probably well over 100 degrees. This Marine is wearing his utility pants and a green skivvy shirt, his left hand holding an M16 by the handguard. As his right hand comes off the trigger, the barrel of the weapon is still pointed downrange. His eyes are closed shut. His head is turned away from a plume of dust and debris. A round has just smashed into the dried mud bank in front of the Marine's face. A mud bank I think he's using as concealment, if not cover, from the enemy. The Marine in that picture is you, Bill B. Welcome. Appreciate you guys having me. What goes through your mind looking at that photo, which adorns the cover of your new book, The Shot? (laughs) Personally, I think it's kind of funny. I mean, my wife, not so much, but I think it's hilarious. Why is it funny? I mean, it's just one of those one in a million things that, uh, you know, what's the chances somebody happened to take that picture at the exact same time that that was happening? It hit that close, you know, just managing to miss. It's like, you know what? It's I got to have a horseshoe up my ass or something like that. <laughs> I was the dumbass who picked up his rifle but left his Kevlar in the sand, you write in your new book, The Shot. Did you take a lot of heat from your command about being slick in that photo? Yes and no. Uh, battalion commander, believe it or not, he uh, he's a general now, General Henderson. He was actually really cool with it. He really didn't give me much flack. I mean, he kind of understood – I mean, we were all living in those circumstances. Flip side of the coin, you know, you got the first sergeant who's like, you know, <laughs> I catch you without gear again. You're getting charged. You know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the, more than anything, it was just catching shit from the guys I work with, you know, the other squad leaders. That's right. And it's amazing because the photographer, Goran Tomasevich, captures the shot. And I assume he's crouched behind that same mud bank. He's looking up at your face. Uh, Right after the shot, he says, where's the blood? (laughs) Checking to make sure you were okay. Only after he snapped those photographs. Do you resent him for taking that photograph? Oh, not at all. Not at all. Like we all loved Gorin. Gorin knew, Gorin knew how to get in the heart of the squad. 
You know, as soon as we met him, he started passing out stateside reds, you know, so immediately he became our favorite embed. And, uh, you know, dude's just doing his job. And the fact that he even stopped what he was doing after it happened, uh, trying to help with the Kazovac, you know, that meant a lot to me. You had a good relationship with Goron, right? He'd been in combat scenarios before. He was a photographer, a war journalist you could trust. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, that that dude alone probably had more combat experience than like my entire squad combined. Like, and I'm talking like kinetic environments, not just sitting in a fob kind of thing. And that's saying something with those dudes. And that kind of takes me to the book, The Shot, subtitled The Harrowing Journey of a Marine in the War on Terror. It's a memoir. It's a tale of young Bill B joining up in the Marine Corps, going through several deployments and coming home. You collaborated on this raw and honest memoir with Wills Robinson. Wills is a politics editor at the Daily Mail. Wills, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. What drew you to Bill's story? So I was first drawn to Bill's story when my editor back in 2015 sent me the photo and she said to me, I want to find out what happened to this Marine because no one had really, no one really knew anything about him. I know Bobby, his wife had done a few interviews uh, when the photo was released to the press, but no one knew his backstory. So I wrote to him um, an actual, a handwritten letter. So we're talking you know, old fashioned way of communicating and a few weeks later, he wrote back, um, said he was interested in speaking to me. He'd never spoken to anyone else before about it. And so we found out the backstory and you know, the problems with the VA, what happened during his other deployments in Afghanistan, um, how he transitioned back into civilian life. And it just added so much to a picture that was already, I, I know Bill says it's funny, but you know, to the normal to the normal eye, it's pretty dramatic and, uh, you know, it shows some heroism. And so we started and we wrote that story back in 2015. And I, I honestly can't remember who emailed me and said, well, you, you guys should write a book on this. And the journey took a while, a few more stories and interviews. And then it came to, uh, it came to fruition a couple of years ago. And that's where we are with the shot now. And so we know Wills is a bit of a flirt, Bill. He's writing you handwritten letters. <laughs> Kudos to you, Wills, for that approach. <laughs> but Bill, why did you want to take on this project with Wills, someone you didn't know, I take it? He wasn't on the ground with you. Uh, why work on this? Well, first of all, I mean, he took the effort to actually, you know, write that that's kind of what drew the attention. But I think a lot of what it was at the time was I was I was a little butthurt at the VA. Let's put it that way. Um I was having issues uh, getting care for some of the psych issues, went outside of the VA for some treatment, and they tried to foot me with the bill. You know, it's something that sh they should obviously have covered. So, uh, yeah, I was I was a little salty at the time. I get this letter, and I, I still sit on it for like a month, and then, you know, one thing leads to another. It's just like, hey, man, you know, I'm going to – I'm more than happy to talk to you about this, but I'm going to be just brutally honest about everything. You pick through the mess and – you know, see what's best. Is that what it was, Will, as a mess from Bill? He keeps saying this. He keeps saying it was a mess, <laughs> but he's actually, he doesn't give himself enough credit for being a good storyteller. I mean, I know I 
you know, I don't have any on the ground experience in the military, and you know, and so there was some there was some grunt speak, there was some you know there was some military speak that I had to pick through, um, some swearing, some jokes that you know didn't might quite make it, but it, to be honest, putting his story on pay on on the page was very straightforward. And the more the more we spoke, um, and the more we interacted, the more we found out about the story, and and. You know, there were parts of his story that he even just remembered as he was talking to me. So it came naturally in the end, you know, nights where we just speak on the phone for a couple of hours and there'd be many anecdotes that made it through into the book. So it was definitely not a mess. It really wasn't. It was, uh, it was, it was actually pretty good fun to put it onto the page. And it comes across seamlessly uh, in the story. It's plain spoken. It's unsparing. It's also fundamentally an infantryman's tale. I think at one point you both say in the book, it's not the work of officers and operators. I like that line. <laughs> what did you both want to achieve in writing the shot? Well, on my end, it was, uh, I was just kind of stunned at the first place that somebody would want to read you know, my story. It's like, I know 5,000 other grunts that got better stories than I got, you know. Right. Uh, honestly, I serve as a great bad example for a lot of stuff. <laughs> you know, I was that uh, that boot that bought the truck at the 50% interest, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Basically the worst things you could ever imagine. And, uh, you know, processing like through steps and taps, getting out, it really didn't go – get any better from there. You know, I was the guy who waited to the last minute to file for my benefits. When I got to the VA, I was the guy that just let everything pass. And it's a great because of that. Cause my whole point with it is, is for somebody to be able to look at it and understand, you know, maybe I shouldn't be sucking this up all the time. You know, maybe I shouldn't be, maybe I should talk to somebody when I'm having these kind of issues, because honestly with me, that's, that's what a lot of mine stemmed from was not talking. And, uh, if somebody could just like two or three dudes pick up that book and just read and understand that, Hey, it's maybe worth it to get some help. If you're having these issues, then that'd be the main thing. And Wills, what about you? What did you want to achieve in writing this book? I echo what, you know, Bill says about the experiences of, you know, many, I mean, his, you know, stands out because of a photo, but, you know, his, his experience isn't unique. And as in the more we spoke, uh, the more, you know, I found out about the, you know, the widespread problems with the VA and how veterans, you know, can't really get access to proper treatment when they come back. And I mean, I, you know, we look, we talk about in the first chapter, you know, uh, he was, when the shot happened, he was doing his laundry. You know, you talk about the uh, the socks socks standing on end because they were so crusty and underweight, worn for days on end. And you know, that's the human side of it. It's nothing. It's nothing about a drone operator sitting in a you know in a shed in the Middle East or in Nevada. You know, this is a front line. This is you know a guy who grew up in Ohio. Uh, you know, was in you know bouncing between trailer parks sometimes, and you know joined up in the Marines because he wanted to fight. He was a patriot and, you know, it's a human story. It's just, you know, and, you know, Bill would say he's a regular guy, but I don't agree. You know, he's a good storyteller. <laughs> he's funny when he, he's, he can be, he can be funny as well sometimes, but um, no, but I mean, it's story is just, it's just a human, you know, it's a human story in, in a military lens and it, you know, it drew it to me. And you know, as Bill said, I hope that when people, you know, do read it, then they understand some of the problems that, 
far too many veterans are going through at the moment. You talk about the human story, and that's at the core of this book. So let's walk through a little bit of Bill's human story. It seemed as if you grew up many generations ago, Bill. You were a latchkey kid. Your step-grandma would lock you out of the trailer where you lived in Ohio because you said she firmly believed children should spend as much time as possible outside. You traveled outside your home place for Bible camp and not much else, but you had a dream to join the military and go to war. Is that right? Well, not necessarily the going to war piece, but the uh, the serving in the military thing was, that's kind of a, I guess you can call it family tradition. You know, nearly every male of the family all the way back is joined. You know, it doesn't matter if it's serving in the guard, you know, or joining the Marines. You know, every, nearly everybody's done it. So it's kind of more of a responsibility. And you'd already tend to take that responsibility when 9-11 happened. You were a Marine. You were an 0311 infantryman in the Marine Corps, but your early tours weren't what you'd been dreaming about. By 2004, 2005, you're on recruiting duty in Pennsylvania. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, basically, right where Flight 93 went down was my area. Oh, really? Near Shanksville? Yep. Yeah, I was in the uh, Johnstown, Somerset kind of area. And you're trying to hit those numbers. Uh, you write, I think at one point, that you would go to the mall and say, hey, do you want to join the Marines? And some kids said, hey, go fuck yourself. <laughs> we were protecting these kids and trying to make sure our nation wasn't attacked again, and some Marines and sailors were dying for it. Was recruiting duty hard? It was, it was a little bit of, yeah, it was, without a doubt, it was the toughest duty station I, I did, you know, 100%. And it was more because no matter how hard you tried, sometimes you didn't just make the numbers, you know, and that's, it seemed to me as I was going through it, that that's really all that the command cared about. Because like, of course, you know, the whole Marine Corps mission is all kind of thing, but man, that job just got insane. Tougher than combat. Recruiting was tougher than combat. Is that what you're saying? Oh, a hundred percent. Easily. <laughs> Without a doubt. Willis, is that jive for you? Well, I didn't really, I didn't really know much about the recruitment process, and also I didn't know much about combat. So, but I, you know, I trusted what he says. And trying to, I mean, when I when I was a kid, I had a job sort of cold pulling pe people with flyers, and I, you know, there's some traits that share, and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. So, I can imagine going up to hundreds of people in the mall, strangers you never know, and saying, you know, do you want to join the Marines? Join the Marines would be nigh impossible. And I, and the fact that he's stuck it out for so long is, is pretty impressive, I've got to say. Well, the thing is, too, I mean, that there's guys out there that they are born and bred to do that job. They absolutely love recruiting, you know, sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was definitely not made for sales. Why were people skeptical of the military? We think back on this time as a really patriotic time, maybe not so much come 04 and 05 as the war in Iraq turned. But what did you find the root to be of people's skepticism? Uh, mainly just how much Iraq was going down, how things were going primarily there. Uh, and that was one of the things that even got me on recruiting duty was that during the 04 to 07 timeframe, you really didn't hear much about Afghanistan. It was all Iraq, Iraq, Iraq. You had two wars going on. They're trying to form up extra regiments. Uh, so missions getting higher. It's It was an intense time on recruiting. 
What did you think of that period in time, Will, as you dove back into the materials looking at this country 15, 17 years ago? I mean, back then I was still pretty young. Um, I, you know, I remember 2001 when I was pulled out of school for 9-11 and, you know, living in the UK at the time, it was, and I was only about uh, 10 years old. I'm sorry if it makes you feel old, but I, <laughs> um, but I, you know, it's quite difficult to grasp what was going on. But you know, as you grow, you as as time went on, you know, to around 2004, 2005, you started, you know, you started to see a lot more on TV, especially Iraq, and then you realised how much, you know, how many how many issues there were in Iraq. Uh, but coming over here, you 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 gain you get more understanding of it, and as you know, as Bill and I chatted about it at the time, you know, we we could grasp the frustrations at the time. And so Iraq is an interesting framing for you. You're recruiting people who maybe went to Iraq, but your combat experiences were in Afghanistan. And so you leave recruiting duty and you get your chance with 1st Battalion, 6th Marines in 2008. You talk about flying through Manus Air Force Base in Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan. Quote, like time had been standing still for decades, statues of (laughs) Lenin stood outside eerie concrete apartment blocks, and there was a quiet that unnerved me. You're there for a few days. Eventually, a few more hops, you arrive in Garmsar District in the southern part of Helmand Province in southwestern Afghanistan, and that's where this photo was taken. You're patrolling, you're getting into firefights, you're carrying gear that takes your weight from 160 pounds to around 250 pounds. How did it feel to finally be in combat? First of all, throw this out there, that 250 pounds, that's that's a light estimate. I mean, <laughs> you throw the extra mortar rounds and stuff like that, I'm, I'm sure it was a little bit more than that. But um, it was, God, that's a good one. It's definitely, uh, it exceeded what I expected it to be. But at the same time, a lot of the, uh, a lot of what I had been hoping to do was finally happening. We talked last time, you know, about my first deployment to Afghanistan, you know, sitting around in a 360 in Kandahar, uh, second deployment, I'm just sitting in the embassy in Kabul, you know, third, I'm on a fence line in Cuba. It's like, you know, at what time do you actually get to go out and pull the trigger? So by the time that we had gotten our ops brief, or yeah, our ops brief and everything, we knew that what we were actually going to do it was going to be a real kinetic environment. And that feeling was shared by the Marines you served with. They were also excited to be in combat. Is that right? For the most part, yeah. Um, the guys that I had for my uh, my team leaders, you know, my my senior lance corporals, uh, these guys had just got done in Ramadi. And by that time, like Ramadi was was a pretty tough fight. And I was actually in awe of these guys because I could not imagine fighting in that kind of 3D environment. You know, give me one and two story mud huts all, all day kind of thing. But these mm. dudes had done like seven, eight months out there. So they had already been there and done that. By the time we had the younger guys and we, we were finally getting into contact, they had enough experience with the older guys that they just assumed, hey, this is how it should be going down, you know? And hey, as long as none of our guys are getting hurt, it's having just having a fun. What did you think of the enemy on that deployment in Garmser? What'd you see? There was a little bit more, 
a little bit more hatred on, on that side. Uh, once we started act, interacting with the locals, you start talking to them and you start hearing about how it was having those guys as the only source of authority in their village, you know, moving, we were moving from one pause to another and met up with a guy that, uh, he turned out to be, uh, mentally disabled and like, we just, he didn't have any information to give us, you know, just giving him MRE, pat him in the back. Hey, sorry to wake you up, man. And then two days later, we find out the guy's been beheaded, you know, for giving us intel. Hatred gets pretty big there. So, Wills, what did you think looking at this from the outside, uh, looking at Bill's story, a guy eager to go to combat? How does that how does that register for you? I mean, the descriptions he had were, were, yeah, were vivid, and you know, you as as someone who hasn't you know hasn't served and seen you know you you see the Taliban and you, and you have you have certain depictions of them, but when you you hear descriptions of the combat and the way they treated people, especially women, especially children, and just a complete disregard for basically you know human life. You know, there's one you know there's one part in 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 the shot where we talk about how a um a local Taliban Taliban father his son or daughter his son had been shot and he was more worried about the cows that had also been shot by um by it was, was his, yeah, it was his daughter yeah it was his daughter sorry daughter and yeah he, just, he, that's why he didn't care yeah and it just it just shows how you know how you know they were you know for lack of a better word you know savages and to be you know, to hear Bill speak about you know, the, the intensity of the, you know, the combat when he was in Gamsa, you know, they were going, they were ferocious fighters. They, they, that's what they were going to do. And, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of the guys that Bill were fighting for us, you know, they were, they were out there to fight, but they were in a, in a hell of a fight. They really were. They were, you know, sometimes they could have had their work cut out of them, but they were, they were ready for it. And they had a pretty ferocious enemy. You come home from Garmser. Uh, it's a successful deployments, deployment uh, by all accounts and by, it seems, your opinion, even in hindsight. And again, you're reading for another deployment. The op tempo was high in those days. In the book, you describe doing a combined arms exercise at 29 Palms. The training's good. You write, it was so intense seeing all the bodies lying on the floor and the noises and the smells that I tapped out after about 45 seconds. Well, that was the, uh, that was the red room down in Cax. Don, did, did you ever do that one? I have. Okay. It's, it's basically a room where they simulate an IED blast had gone off inside the building and, uh, you know, the walls are painted in blood, which, you know, it's, that's kind of whatever that's dramatic effect kind of thing. But they also have like the actors, <laughs> my, my APL is a pretty big dude. He went to reach up to grab one of the females to, Evac evacuator gives her a tug and like picks her up all the way, you know, by her shoulder. He's like, Oh shit, sorry. It turned out she was actually a double amputee, you know, but she just stays into it yelling and screaming. Wow. And uh it's like that point, okay, you know, let's uh wanna take a step out for this one. You guys can do this. The training was too good. Yeah, let's put it that way. <laughs> just needed uh hmm. to step outside, have a spoke and get the head back on straight kind of thing. That was before your next deployment in 2010 to Marja, uh, which is maybe the center of the action for much of the book. The I, there's an IED explosion. It ends your career at the very end of that deployment. What happened that day? 
that would have been the very beginning of June. And uh, we were less than a week out from going back, uh, doing our time in Kandahar, then going back home, you know, your decompression time. And we actually had two member, three squad leaders from 2-6 had been sent as the advance party and took a couple of them out on the patrol because I wanted to show them the area. It wasn't going to be a contact patrol or anything like that. It was literally going to be, hey, I'm going to take you to this building. I'll show you the area where the Taliban are going to show up. You know, this stuff works like clockwork, but we're not going to stay for long. We're not going to try and get in contact. We're just going to beat feet. We moved south. I made sure it was a building we'd only been in once before, you know, so we're not establishing a pattern or anything like that. I put half my squad in uh, Overwatch just north of us, um, kind of doing a satellite patrol kind of thing. And we made entry to the building, set the guys up, and sure as hell, five, ten minutes later after we show up, you know, you see the white van show up, guy get out with binos, a bunch of mopeds start showing up. And I'm just pointing out to the guys, hey, this is, see this guy here, that's going to be your Taliban commander or whatever. Uh, just trying to give them the pattern of life of how stuff goes. You know, as I'm telling this kind of stuff, get called over by a designated marksman. He's like, hey, man. I just, uh, I got to jam my gear. I got or got to jam the rifle. I got to get this out and I can't. So I'm, I get a little butthurt because, I mean, how long has it been? How long has he been in country with me? You should know how to clear a jam. And uh, I go over and give him a hand. And as soon as I take a knee, you know, that's when everything blew. And turns out they had two or three IEDs embedded in the wall themselves. And uh, that's what hit us. So is it the thing that saved your life was taking a knee to help clear the obstruction in the weapon? Oh, yeah, without a doubt, because uh, where I was standing with Shanfield and Walters, that's one of the places where uh, apparently one of the charges was, like right on the outside of it. I mean, it's no matter how many steps you take to mitigate the risks, something's going to happen at some point. You know, somebody's going to roll a one and it's going to go downhill. Uh, some things can, are preventable and some aren't. And whether it was or not that happened that day, you know, that's it's just what happens. Wills, you're the objective eye on this, the outsider, the reporter, the sort of historian. How do you read an event like this? You, I think you have to, you, you know, you take an event like that first off at you know at face value and i remember when we first did the story back in 2015 bill mentioned the ied blast in 2010 but we didn't really delve into it we didn't really go into it um the details you know the after effects personally for bill as well and then how he recounted it on the phone um you know it's for me hearing it is just it's just it's horrific and it's tragic because, you know, it was two young guys who died in that instance. And, you know, Bill's been affected by that ever since. And, you know, he's, he's also saying it, you know, it's emotional, but he's, you know, saying it med- you know, very matter-of-factly as well because he knows that, you know, that's some of the, some of the realities. And it's just, yeah, as you talk about, you know, the sense of randomness, you know, Bill turning away, taking a knee, to fix, you know, he was, you know, he was doing whatever any squad leader would have done at the time and helping a younger Marine who was in 
who was in trouble. And that, in that moment, in that moment where he showed leadership, you know, it could have saved his life and it's completely random. You know, there was no, no way he could have decided that. Um, so I think the way, you know, the way he told it to me and I hopefully, I hope that I did it justice when I, you know, when I wrote it in the shot, um, you know, it was a, a pretty incredible and pretty tragic description as well. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was horrifying to hear really because I'd gone to know Bill for, you know, for so long and it was, and, you know, talking about that attack was later on during our conversations. And, you know, I even got a bit emotional talking about it as well because I knew and still know how highly Bill regards the guys he was fighting with and still does. And so, you know, it's that, that emotional aspect as well. It's all, it, it's fine describing it, you know, the debris flying everywhere, the explosion, the size of it, you know, I, they, we talk about how bodies of some of the Marines were, you know, were so, you know, were so badly, <clears throat> excuse me, were so badly damaged that they were in, you know, they're in trash bags. But all that aside, you, you, you tear it all back and you see the pure emotion of that moment and the pure impact it has on the people who are involved. So it was pretty harrowing for me to hear that. And it was also, you know, I also felt privileged to be able to have to, you know, to be able to write it as well. The emotional aspect and the psychological aspects come through clearly uh, in Bill's perception of all these events. And I want to go to a new episode after Marja. You come back to the States. Deployments are behind you. Bill, you're on the party bus, okay? You're headed down to Wilmington from Jacksonville, North Carolina. The driver threatens to call the cops because, as you write, one guy was screaming at his wife. Another guy was sobbing and talking about friends he'd lost in Marja. The rest of the guys on this party bus were yelling, acting out, causing chaos. I'm thinking of how the emotions get stretched in combat and how they just can't fit back in when you get home. There's a part I'm remembering from the story. It comes early in the book but you're talking retrospectively, you're looking back and you're saying when you're home, you write at one point that the enemy doesn't carry knives and guns anymore, but the enemy is you. What did you mean by that? I don't know if you could say it's facing yourself is the hardest part. It's kind of like the self-destructive behavior. You know, you need to blow loose. You need to, you know you need to let loose. You need to blow off some steam, and we all do that. And uh, But sometimes, yeah, we do take it a little too far. Hell, day we got back from Garms or one of our kids in our platoon got tased at the base uh, hotel. Uh, you know, <laughs> Probably wasn't the only one. Oh, no, it was a great time. He didn't even get charged. It was just more funny than anything. But also – when we went out there to do my birthday, uh, that was the first time a lot of us had hung out and drank like that. You know, night starts off great. It The whole night goes great. It's just on the way back, you know, you start with all that drinking comes that kind of that moment of downtime, that uh, that pretty much the depression kind of <laughs> section about drinking. And it kind of hit everybody at once. And we all got different ways of dealing with it. But uh, 
we're trying to, some of us were venting. Some of us were trying to help each other while they're venting, Hmm. you know, and and the dudes have got legitimate issues. I really didn't hold it against any of them, to be honest with you. (laughs) I just thought it made the night more interesting. (laughs) Because hell, I've, I've been to parties before where at least one or two, one or two dudes would lose their shit. You know, especially right after deployment, it's it's kind of expected. Uh, and I'm kind of cool with that. It's just it is what it is. And I think many of our listeners who have deployments behind them had similar experiences coming back home. I did. Wills, I wonder how it looks again from that objective outsider perspective. Some of these behaviors are almost incomprehensible. They don't they're abnormal as compared to normal behavior. What did you see when you looked at it? I mean, sometimes when, you know, if we maybe have a bit too much to drink, you know, like I sometimes have as well, you know, we do, you know, we do lose it a bit. We do, you know, behave in, you know, in odd, say odd ways. And we do go to extremes sometimes, but, you know, we, like people like me, I don't have, you know, the sort of the combat compounded issues, you know, there's so much more, you know, go, especially coming back from deployment as, you know, when I talked about it with Bill, you know, there's so many things, he's talking about so many things going through your head and, you know, I'm, you know, a normal person like, you know, like me might, you know, have just had a stressful day at work, just had a long day at work. You know, I haven't been shot at by some, you know, a guy sitting in a mud hut a hundred feet away. So just imagining that and, you know, having those lingering I don't want to say demons, but those lingering issues that, you know, having just come out of one of the the worst battle zones in the world and you want to drink to let loose, you do, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, a lot of people do, but it's, you know, I I don't see it as abnormal behavior before. And, you know, Bill, Marines, people have said they deserve to let loose and have fun. And, you know, there are going to be some issues as well because it, it comes to the territory when it comes to drinking, but there's so much more that is inside and being held in than, you know, a normal citizen who hasn't, you know, flown back into war or experienced anything like that. And so I love seeing these pictures, Bill, of you, your work in training, uh, still training Marines. We're also on the flight path for New Rivers, so <laughs> keeping these helos fly over. <laughs> Some things you can't leave behind. Yeah, that might be edited out. <laughs> and in your family now, uh, your son Ethan, your wife Bobby. Honestly, it's it'd be the wife a hundred percent. You know, she put up with a lot of stuff that she shouldn't have had to put up with. You know, I think that's ninety nine percent of you know why I love her so much Uh, because like when I was going through my issues, she helped handle everything just from around the house to medically to, you know, not losing it on me when I was just always on the edge kind of thing. Just having her there was what kind of like the anchor, you know, that's been Mm. what basically helped me maintain a stable spot in society. Let's put it that way. She gave me a reason to want to go to work every day, you know, to want to make, you know, my kid happy. And so let's end with a few questions, rapid questions. 
Is that okay with you? <laughs> I'm going to be great at these. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it, which do you prefer? Okay. First, Garmser 08 or Marja 10? Which do you prefer? I'd say Marja, to be honest with you. Why? It was, it was a lot more kinetic, but it was a lot more fun. We, it wasn't just sitting there shooting at walls of other buildings. It was, we were actually, we had the capability to go out and no kidding hunt dudes especially having like counter intel on the squad level with us that it was all just amazing having those resources. I mean, when you get an AC 130 checks on station and support, it's like, okay, this is, this is kind of fun. This is, this is, cool, <laughs> you know? Mm. Uh, so yeah, I'd take that over, you know, 500 yard firefights, shooting at buildings <laughs> kind of stuff any day, but let me air have all the fun. Number two, Squad leader or Joe Rifleman? <laughs> okay, the squad leader's got more fun. You know, getting being able to call air, being able to call Artie, all that kind of stuff. But the lack of responsibility, being machine gunner, you know, just rifleman, point man, that would be amazing too. Like they each got their, their goods and their bads. It's like, yeah, I got to do all the working parties, but at the same time, I don't have to count water bottles and MREs. <laughs> Wills, if you had to pick one, which one would it be? Well, as a Brit, you may be able to, you know, I wasn't really brought up with guns. So might like, might be good, you know, might be fun to try it. <laughs> I mean, I'm I, as an editor, you know, there, there's parts of my job that's, you know, that I am a bit of, I, I, maybe you could compare it to being a squad leader. So yeah, I take Joe <laughs> Reiferman just to, you know, just to have a try. We're all trying to get rid of a little responsibility. <laughs> oh, yeah. With that. <laughs> Number three, I think I know the answer here. Knowing a little about your background, but here it is. Books or movies, Bill? Which do you prefer? Oh, books, 100%. Favorite book? Uh, Gotta be Wheel of Time, Eye of the World, Robert Jordan. Science fiction fan. Yeah, sci-fi, fantasy. Definitely caught a lot of flack from that, for that, but... I've seen a few of those books floating around. Wills, any opinion on that one? Uh, I, was hoping, movies? I, was, I was hoping you wouldn't come to me because I know how much Bill has read from elementary school until now. So whatever I say, it's, it's not going to be pale in comparison. Um, I could just be boring and say movies and Shawshank Redemption. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. That is, that is a very, that's a very vanilla answer, but um, I just know I'm not going to, I'm not not going to top Bill, so I just leave it at that. Uh, relatedly, Bill, who plays you in the movie adaptation of The Shot? <laughs> God knows. I kept saying, uh, we actually talked about this on the weekend. Uh, I kept saying Kevin Hart because he's about, Ooh, he's okay. short, belligerent, and uh, that'd be about <laughs> the funniest shit on the planet. <laughs> we'll so. put that out there onto the interwebs and see if anybody picks that up. Kevin Hart for Bill B in the adaptation <laughs> of The Shot. All right. Last one. Final question. Which do you prefer life now or back then? Damn. Uh, shit. <laughs> life is very, very good now, but life was also very, very fun then. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've each got their good sides and bad sides. You know, would I rather be downrange, you know, with a squad than be working on a range with, Robots, honestly, yeah. But at the same time, I come home every night. If it's raining out or if it's cold, I sit in the truck with the heat on. You know, yep. I don't have to deal with any of that anymore. So each has got their own. But personally, 
I, I like I really like where I'm at right now. That's that's the right answer. Hat tip to Bobby and Ethan on that one too. <laughs> uh, a salute to all those Marines you watch walking out to the field to sleep in their cold bivy sack when you head back home for the evening <laughs> off the range. Um, that's the right answer. Bill B. Wills Robinson. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks for having us, man. The book is The Shot, The Harrowing Journey of a Marine in the War on Terror. It's out now. And thanks to our listeners. Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. In the show notes, you can find a link to sign up to receive The Morning Recon, our daily newsletter summary of defense news. For John Waters and everyone here at Real Clear Defense, I'm John Sorensen.